Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness from the inside out. Happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Each week, Lisa shines her light on well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and integrated well-being. Let's get to it. Here's your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week, we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. Well, here we are at the end of an election year, and changes are in the wind. Some of us are happy about them. Some of us are cranky about them. But nonetheless, how do we deal with change? How do we deal with truth-seeking and finding our way in a new paradigm um, in which we are about in which we are about to embark? My first guest is Ed Brodo. He is an author and internationally renowned expert on the art of negotiation. Ed is the creator of Negotiation Bootcamp, widely recognized as the number one customized negotiating skills seminar in the United States. He also travels internationally as a keynote speaker at meetings and conventions. Since 1987, more than 1,000 corporate and association audiences plus millions of TV viewers have enjoyed his charismatic stage presence, infectious humor, and practical ideas. Good morning, Ed. Thanks for joining us. Hi. Nice to see you. Yeah, nice to see you. Listen, we are uh, sitting over here at Harvesting Happiness Land. Some of us are scratching our heads. Some of us are clapping. But the reality of it is you've got a book, and this book really grabbed me. In Lies We Trust, How Politicians and the Media Are Deceiving the American Public. And this intrigued me because so much of our happiness, so much of our well-being is also tied to our perceptions, to the truth that we choose to embrace as individuals, plus the truth that we are being told or the lies that we are being fed. Talk a little bit about that. Well, I think that in in terms of happiness, I think that it's important to have a certain amount of control over the, the perceptions that we have. And I think that if we allow others to create our perception, that that takes away from our happiness. So it's up to each one of us to uh, be able to filter through 
what we are reading in the newspapers, what we're hearing on television, what politicians are telling us. And we have to think critically uh, to, to create a picture of the world that, that is realistic uh, and that is honest. So that's yeah. what my book is about. My book is about how do you how do you maintain a sense of of, of reality in the world? Uh, yeah, I, I agree. And, and I've been um, thumbing through your book, and you make some really interesting points in the book. And the first thing I, I, I want to touch upon is the gullibility factor, because we are as people as smart as we may be, we are quite gullible. Yeah, well, the point I make in the book is that politicians and the media may be lying to us, but we are complicit to the extent that we accept those lies. And people have a tendency to be pretty gullible. Uh, there are a lot of reasons for that. You know, we're in a hurry. We don't have a lot of time. Uh, we tend to accept what authority figures tell us. Um, and, of course, you know, when you're watching a news anchor on television, that's an authority figure. So we, we tend to believe all of these things. And uh, we have to learn to be to be more critical about, about what we accept and what we believe. And, and this this notion of critical thinking, it's not just a notion. I mean, it is it is a skill and one that as a parent um, and most of our listeners are parents out there that I find is the greatest challenge in instilling in our children today, contemporary children, because so much of what they are getting, the information they are getting are in these little sound bites or nanobites. They're, they're, they're really small little snippets and very little of it is reality-based. Well, from my research indicates that employers are complaining now that uh, the young people that are coming into the workforce, uh, very few of them have the skill that we call critical thinking. Uh, apparently, they're not learning it in school. And this is, <laughs> uh, this is problematic. This is problematic. It's very, yeah. I, I agree with you. You know, in fact, I, I, I think back to when um, I was in high school, which was a zillion years ago, we, in fact, had a class called Critical Thinking. Really? Yeah, really. I grew up in New York City, and I went to a, a very small prep school, which I was very fortunate to attend, and we had a class. And I was like, wow, all right. I, and and right. I've learned it. I don't always maintain it, but I, I do have a basic sense of what that is. And, and, and going back to your book, In Lies We Trust, How Politicians and the Media Are Deceiving the American Public, this is what I see is a um, part of the malaise that people are feeling resulting from the recent election. You know, they, are, they lack that element of critical thinking or perspective taking. Um, which is really uh, getting a lot of people down and causing a lot of strife. Yeah, well, you know, you mentioned the fact that I, I'm, I'm a negotiation expert. And, yes. Uh, I've written extensively. I've written extensively on this subject. And uh, about 20 years ago, I created a term that I called negotiation consciousness. And what that really means is that people who negotiate are, are uh, they challenge everything. They, they're assertive and they challenge everything. And very often people will say to me, well, Ed, do you mean everything? Do you, do you challenge everything? And I say, yes, I, I do mean everything. Uh, it's really important to be able to make up your own mind and not just accept what, what you're told, because we're constantly being told how to behave, what to think, what to do. Uh, I, I, just, uh, I just think it's really important for people to learn 
this this skill uh, to develop their negotiation consciousness, to be, be willing to challenge what they read in the paper, what they hear on television, uh, what they're told, things you get constantly being things you get in the mail telling you do this, do that. Uh, it, it's really and it's getting worse all the time. So this skill is is more important than ever. Well, I, I, I like what you said about negotiation. We're really talking about negotiating the truth, that it's not just negotiating or brokering deals with others, but every day we have the opportunity to negotiate the truth for ourselves, for our families, in our decision-making, what we choose to take in, and the, the sort of the movie-making of our lives. Well, you know, the unfortunate thing, you said you grew up in New York? I did. Yeah, so did I. And when I was a kid, uh, we always looked at the New York Times as as being the beacon of truth. Uh, and we knew that you know if you wanted to find out what was going on, you read the New York Times. Right. Uh, one of the things I point out in my book is that is no longer the case. The New York Times uh, has uh, what they do on page one. Instead of presenting facts, uh, they present facts filtered with opinion. So you never know really whether what you're getting is is actual. Uh, is actually what took place or what they want you to think took place. And that's a, that's a very critical uh, difference, a change that's taken place. And uh, my point is that if the New York Times, which is right at the top of the heap, journalistically speaking, if they're doing it, imagine what everybody else is doing. So we have, a, we have an epidemic of, uh, of misrepresentation taking place on the part of the media. And the only solution to that is critical thinking is is that each if each each person has to be able to say i'm going to challenge i'm not going to accept what i read in the times or what i hear on cnn or wherever i'm going to i'm going to do my own research i'm going to make up my own mind and uh not be led around by the nose and and what do you think contributes to all uh, to, to not to all to this sort of spin or turn in the way that journalism or top journalism is being presented is it's it's dollar driven isn't it uh, dollar driven yes i'm not sure it would... that it's dollar driven i think it's agenda driven uh it used you know, it used to be that uh, in journalism school they taught you that the truth and facts is what you're after as a journalist uh, you want to be objective. Uh, Walter Cronkite, you know, we, we always uh, thought of Walter Cronkite as, as telling the truth. We found out later that he, he had a, uh, his own agenda, but he never allowed his agenda to get to interfere with his telling the truth. But today, journalism seems to be teaching uh, the, the students in journalism school, they seem to be teaching them that their agenda is more important than the truth. So I, I think that what I'm, what I'm observing is that uh, the New York Times, for example, has a very clear agenda that they're trying to get across. And that, in their minds, is more important than telling the truth. Huh. So that's, that's I, I, the, and, and frankly, it makes me feel like I'm living in a pre-1990 uh, communist uh, dictatorship where the press is owned by the government. It's a scary situation. Yeah, I hear you. I, I, I do hear you. And I, I, this goes back then to your point of critical thinking and, and how do we um, inspire people to 
think more independently to research. And, and part of that, the problem with that is uh, the, the researching and, and sussing out the truth for oneself is it takes time. And we are all so busy. We, you know, we've got obligations, we've got responsibilities, we're on a clock, we're on a schedule. And it's hard to slow oneself down and even dial into one source that you believe is reliable because everybody's spinning what they're producing, you know, for their, like you say, for their own agenda or to, or to, um, seek, you know, dollars or revenue because they've got a splashy headline. Well, I, I think the good news is that it really doesn't take that much time to, to filter through all of the, the stuff that's coming at us. Uh, if you, if you're willing to, to work on what I call negotiation consciousness, if you're willing to be, to be, to challenge what you hear, uh, and, and just keep your eyes open. I, I think you can figure it out because every every one of the, well, I, in, in my book, I have a whole chapter on. I have my own course in the book on critical thinking. And one of the things I say that you have to do is you have to figure out what is the argument in, in the news. What you know? What uh, what's their point of view? And there's always a point of view. And once you understand the point of view, it becomes clear what, what's going on. So, uh, for example, I, I analyze in the book, I analyze an article from the New York Times, and I show how you can tell from just, just from reading the article, you can see what the, what the point of view is. And once you, can, once you understand that there's a point of view, then you know that, that you, you know, you, you're not getting the straight scoop. You're getting somebody's version of the truth. My guest today is Ed Brodo. His book is In Lies We Trust, How Politicians and the Media Are Deceiving the American Public. You can reach Ed and find out more about his work at brodo.com, and that's B-R-O-D-O-W.com. On Twitter, the handle is at Ed Brodo, and on Facebook, Ed.Brodo. We're going to go to a break, but before we do, I want to talk to our listeners, you guys, about something that is super-duper important between the election, winter weather, and if your family is anything like mine, the holidays, it's been a tough couple of months. And while it's important to take care of your mental health, we all know that it can be hard to make it to the therapist's office. That's why we're excited that today's podcast is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company that connects you with a licensed therapist for just $32 a week. Whether you want to talk about Trump, your annoying uncle, something going on at the office, or just want, want to work on becoming a better person, Talkspace can help. Using the Talkspace smartphone app or website, you can text and audio message your therapist as much as you want. And for a reasonable additional fee, you can have a video call as well. So, my friends, don't lose sleep, don't lose your cool, and don't lose out on this special offer. Go to Talkspace.com slash Harvest or use the coupon code HARVEST to get $30 off your first month and to show your support for this podcast. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on Toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Happiness is an inside job. Wear the message on t-shirts, baseball caps, sterling silver designer jewelry, and more. Please visit our online boutique at www.harvestinghappiness.com. 
Are you or do you know a returning U.S. military man or woman in need of restoring joy in their lives? Did you know that our nonprofit, Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, offers stigma-free combat trauma and post-deployment reintegration programming? Check us out at www.hh4heroes.org. That's HH, the number four, and heroes.org. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress Kamen has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life. Available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? Because caring is sharing. It's kind, it's free, it's legal, it's available 24-7. And we're talking with Ed Brodo, who is the author of In Lies We Trust, How Politicians and the Media Are Deceiving the American Public. And why I'm enjoying this conversation with Ed is because America, the world, we are about to embark on a, on a wild journey. In 2017, a new presidency, a new uh, uh, a new turn, and many of us are hopping mad. Some of us are jumping up and down with glee. But regardless, the idea of negotiating truth, personal truth, is what we're talking about, and critical thinking. Ed, prior to the break, we talked about the importance of critical thinking, of questioning. I want to jump into something that you write about in your book, In Lies We Trust, and that is inoculation against BS. Love this. Talk about it. Well, I, it all came about. I was reading an article in, in I think it was in Forbes magazine. Um, some psychologists did a, a study about that. Uh, they, they, they observed that some people seem to have a BS meter. Uh, a way of of detecting nonsense, and other people don't. And they were trying to figure out why why is it that some people do, and other people don't. Uh, and it all it all came down really to critical thinking that you know the the, the people who have this kind of BS meter uh, are, are able are able to uh, use the techniques that you learned in school, uh, which most people unfortunately are not taught. So that's that's where that idea came from, and I, I think it's a very important concept because, you know, I'd like to see more people with a, uh, have developed their BS meter. Yeah, uh, it's really important because with the development of one's BS meter, you also have a better calibration of yourself and your truth telling and how earnest. Y- you personally, we personally are operating. It's a, an internal thing that then that then um, moves externally, and many of us are the greatest self-deceptors. Yeah, I, I don't know if you remember the the opening of the book. I talked about an experience I had in New York many years ago. Uh, I, I was walking down on the Upper East Side of New York, and I ran into a woman that I knew from the neighborhood, and we were talking, and some young fellow came up, and he said, gee, you know, he says, my mother's in the hospital here, New York hospital, and I live in New Jersey, and I, re- I don't have enough money to get home. Can you help me out? 
And she's my, the woman I was talking to started to reach for her wallet. And I said, wait a minute, don't give him any money. It's just a scam. And she said, don't tell me what to do with my money. And she gave him a $5 bill or a $10 bill. And, you know, he smiled and took off. And as he took off, she suddenly got it. I saw, I saw it. I looked at her face and I could see that she got it. <laughs> and she said to me, uh-oh, she says, I was just taken, wasn't I? And I didn't have the heart to say, yeah, I told you so. But, but I thought this, uh, this is a, uh, a metaphor for what happens in life. You know, we, 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 we sometimes don't realize that we're being taken. And it, it happens every day. So people yeah. have, to, have to develop the ability. Uh, I grew up in Brooklyn, and that's where I learned on the street. I learned to detect things like that. And, and yeah. people have to develop that, that kind of street technique in their everyday life of, of being able to distinguish between somebody who's telling the truth and somebody that's just trying to con you out of a $10 bill. You know, and this goes back to the um, inoculation against BS. You know, I, I, that also brings to mind um, stress inoculation, which uh, the, our soldiers in the military are taught. You know, how are you able to withstand or tolerate um, stressors as they, as they present themselves when you are in a situation that could be life or death? This also ties into resiliency. You know, how are we able to bounce back when we're when we're disappointed, when life is not always going as planned? And this inoculation against BS falls into that category because sometimes we may be taken. And what do we do when we're taken? Do we sit and ruminate and, and have a pity party? Or do we move on and say, you know what, that guy or that gal probably needed that five or ten bucks more than I did, and I got to let that go. Yes, I was taken. And now what? How do I move on? Yeah. Well, the thing about soldiers, uh, soldiers have a support system and they have the training. So when they're in, in combat, which is an incredibly stressful situation, uh, they can fall back on their training and they've got their, the, the support of their fellows so that they can deal with it. They do what they were trained to do. But the problem is that once they get out of the military, they no longer have that support system. Yes, and they know they know, and they're not trained for dealing with the residual effects of what of what they went through, which was traumatic. So they don't. Yes. They, unfortunately, they don't have the techniques uh, that they need in, in order to cope, and, and they have to learn it. And the same with all the rest of us. We all we have to learn how to cope with the stresses of day to day life. You mentioned you know there's an election. Some people are happy. Some people are not happy. But you have to go on with it. Just it's a, see, that's why that's my little story is a good metaphor. She, you know, she got con, but she had to move on. So yes. you know, if if the person that you didn't want to be elected got elected, it's still a fact, and you have to deal with it, and you move on. Yeah, I, I I agree. I mean, I have heard stories because I work with people on a daily basis, and I have stories that run the gamut of people being physically ill, unable to get out of bed after the election. And I'm like, you know what? I, I understand disappointment. I get that. But really, you know, really, you're you're sick to the core. This doesn't make sense. Yeah. Well, it's it's a sign of the times, and I, from what I understand, it's it's the way that. Uh, the students are being trained right now in colleges, and, and we, you read about things like safe spaces, uh, where the students feel they have, you know, they have a right to be safe from ideas that they find repugnant. Uh, this is not life. You know, life yes. presents you with all kinds of things that are repugnant. Uh, 
it's it's you know life is not uh, it's not Disneyland. Life, unfortunately, you know, we wish life was Disneyland. I think that's why Disneyland is so attractive to people, because you go into this perfect place and everything is wonderful. Uh, it brings you back to you know your chi- a childhood state, but unfortunately, uh, adult reality is is full of uh, all kinds of uh, ups and downs and, and and things that we don't like, but we have to deal with them anyway. So you, you, you learn, you know, as you go on in life. Hopefully, you learn how to be more resilient and, and deal with these things. And, and the way to do this, you know, you said something really important, the way um, kids are being taught in, in, in colleges and universities today, you know, the, the, the sense of the safe space where, you know, certain subject matters are, are off limits. I, I, I agree with you in that, you know, nothing should really be off limits. If you're uncomfortable, you either choose not to participate and extricate yourself or you get in the arena and ask questions and, and learn more about the situation to perhaps broaden your perspective. Yeah, well, I, I'm a, a big proponent of free speech and, and free discussion of ideas. I think that's, that's what makes this country great. I Me too. Distinguishes <laughs> us. It, it distinguishes us from every place else. Uh, and unfortunately, um, I, I see evidence that there is a lot of um, activity going on in the country that that would take away our freedom of speech. It's happening all over the world, actually. You see it in Europe also. Uh, And and I I want to defend freedom of speech because I think that's the core of of everything that that we have. Uh, And if we lose that freedom of speech, we've lost everything. So we have to fight for it. And um, one of the aspects of, of freedom of speech is the ability to say, hey, you know, I, I, I don't agree with what I just read in the newspaper. I don't agree with what I'm hearing on TV. I have a different opinion. And here's my opinion. And, and that's healthy. It's it's very healthy. And when we're talking about finding a sense of balance and equanimity in our own lives and, you know, how that ties to happiness. And we're not talking about that happyology that, you know, that annoying yellow smiley face. We're really talking about a sense of having groundedness in our daily lives when the external world may not be, you know, following our plans or our, 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 our desires, which is every day. The world will not bend to our will. The person who says, gee, my, my person didn't get elected and they go into a funk and, and you know, they can't function, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's not a healthy place to be. That's a, that's a very dysfunctional place to be. Um, once, once you acknowledge that, that things are going to happen that you don't like, then you just you figure out a way to, to move forward. And, you, and you, um, it's fascinating that I, I love to watch the way people handle their lives. Um, I wrote another book about this where we're, I, I, I observe people that some people are able to, to, to deal well with, with life and other people, uh, don't, alcohol, drugs, uh, violence, all kinds of things that, that uh, uh, people resort to because they're unable to deal with just the basic reality of, of today. And that's, that's, yeah. I mean, you, you, you talk about harvesting happiness. You can't harvest happiness by trying to ignore what's happening in your life and, and allowing it to, to make you uh, stop functioning. Yeah. 
And this is what I uh, work with every day. You know, a big part of my practice is devoted to recovery from addiction and trauma. So I spend a lot of time in the dark with people. And this is a discussion that comes up every day. You know, how do you negotiate the truth of your own life? How do you craft um, a life of meaning in spite of the things uh, not always going as planned or, you know, the outside world not, you know, standing in line with your, your whim? And that's a challenge for a lot of people, whether they're on drugs or not. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that the modern world has just made it that much more difficult. Uh, you know, 100, 200 years ago, life was so much simpler. Uh, we didn't have, we weren't faced with so many changes and, and uh, uh, all the complexities of, of, of the life that we have today. But we, this is it, you know, we have it and we have to cope with it. But, you know, here's the thing, going back to your book and lies we trust how politicians and the media are deceiving the American public, that, you know, yes, life has become more complicated today. It's not as simple as it was, you know, 20, 30 years ago. However, you, like you say, this is what we've got. But once again, it's that perception, you know, how how we view the world, how we engage in the world, how we um, have an opus open and honest dialogue with what's going on will determine our happiness today and tomorrow. Um, Ed, we are out of time. I'm going to have to invite you back because I want to carry on this conversation with you. Will you come back and be with us at, a, at another point in the next year? Absolutely. I would love that. I want to give our listeners your contact information. Once again, the book, which I highly recommend, In Lies We Trust, How Politicians and the Media Are Deceiving the American Public. A great read about critical thinking. How do we get some? The website is brodo.com. On Twitter, that handle is Ed Brodo. And on Facebook, ed.brodo. Thank you to my guest, Ed Brodo. Here come those tunes. We will be right back to carry on. And again, that is a truth and a promise. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress Kamen has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio? Subscribe to us on iTunes and get your weekly dose of joy downloaded free and easily to your computer or portable device. That's Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I really urge you to download and share this podcast because it's kind, it's free, it's legal, it's informative, and we are talking about something really important 
that we are stepping into for the next four years. Our theme today is developing discernment, uncovering misinformation and lies in government and media with my guest today, Ed Brodo and Jean Stone, who has arrived in the studio. Jean is the author of The Trump Survival Guide, Everything You Need to Know About Living Through What You Hoped Would Never Happen. Jean, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Well, you have written this little uh, handbook that I think is very, very valuable. And as I mentioned before you came on the air, um, I happen to believe that America has been date raped by Donald Trump and we've been roofied and we and we've just realized it, you know, in the last two months. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) let's (laughs) let's talk about let's talk about how we can get involved, how we can cope with what is about to happen to us. Sure. Uh, I uh, fully understand your comments. My, uh, the reason the book actually came about is after the election, I was feeling totally depressed, and I spent a week avoiding the news and not looking at TV. And then it occurred to me that that's really not the way to go forward. Um, I'm a writer. I thought, well, you know, the only thing I know how to do is write. So what I would do is write a book. And I called up one of my publishers, and I said, if I can write a book in 12 days— will you publish it before the inauguration? And they said yes, and so the book happened. Well, I think it's brilliant, and I think that you are going to turn a lot of heads, open a lot of minds, and give us tools for managing ourselves, which is the only thing that we can control, ever. Absolutely. And, you know, that's really what the book is about. It's um Oh, certainly, it's about Trump and it's about guidance. But what I'm really saying in this book is that if if you want to do something, then you do have to do something. It's not enough to sit around. It's not enough to feel depressed. Emotions are important and recognizing them matters. But action is also very important. And if you feel, as you do, about Donald Trump, you need to do something. Yeah. And I'm doing something. We, we, we made this show... Um, because because a lot of us here are feeling frustrated, upset, and we need to do something to help people move forward. You wrote a book in 2004. It was a satirical bestseller entitled The Bush Survival Bible. <laughs> and in this time, instead of a satire, you're offering us um, serious calls to action and some ways that we can mobilize following Donald Trump's um, empowerment or ensconcement in the White House. Let's talk about how we can get involved on a simple level, on a local level, because I think that's really what you're talking about, that Uh each one of us moves locally, then we have a movement to change for or for change. Yeah, one of the things that um, the Tea Party figured out a long time ago, I don't certainly agree with their uh, philosophy, but they were very smart about understanding that um, politics is kind of a trickle-up kind of process. Um, you don't just wait every four years to vote for president and hope for the best. If you work at a local level, then you're able to trickle up your influence to the national level. The Tea Party figured that out. The moderates and the liberals really have yet to do that. So, yes, that's exactly what my book recommends, is trying to get involved at any level you can, even if it's just going to a meetup.com organization of a few people who think like you so you can sit around and plot strategies to resist Trump. 
<laughs> Very funny. Uh, you know, and I'm actually not an advocate for uh, resisting him at this point. It is what it is. It's really about helping people mobilize to move forward. You know, and I and I that is my concern that people are so upset that they'll be st- sitting in the pity party. And what we really need to do mm-hmm. is to, you know, to act. You know, to act and control those things that we can. So you talk about getting involved in local politics, reporting hate crimes, um, educating family and friends. And this may be a contentious point. Talk a little bit about that. Well, I don't know if you saw that story that came out uh, last week from the guy in Kentucky. Turned out to be a true story. He was a Trump supporter. He was very much against Obamacare. And he said, I don't need Obamacare. I'm covered by the Affordable Care Act. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I did see that education. story and I laughed. I heard it actually yes, as I was know, driving. There's education that's needed. What, what I'm saying in the book, and there, there's a number of um, number of general topics um, and and advice. Uh, each chapter has specific for the individual issues, but there are some overarching ones like education because it's important that we educate ourselves in each one of these areas and educate other people. For instance, if you're talking about Obamacare, it became pretty obvious fairly early on that people actually did support Obamacare when they were simply told what it did. But when they were told it was called Obamacare, they didn't like it. Yeah. They didn't know the difference between the actual specifics of the act and the name of the act. That's an easy place to educate people. And what's interesting, I don't know if you saw the recent poll that came out, I think it was even just this morning, for the first time, many more people support Obamacare than oppose it. And I think that is to some degree because it's being taken away. It's like the old Joni Mitchell song, you don't know what you got until it's gone. Well, if it's gone and there's no replacement, people are going to suffer. Indeed. And I was I was listening to the confirmation hearings this morning and Elizabeth Warren was grilling Price, <laughs> grilling yeah. him about about this very issue and Medicare. And and um, we we have to have it. You know, people that I know, uh, entrepreneurs that don't have the resources to have big, um, you know, company policies for health care are enrolled in this program and they're getting a lot of benefit from it. Otherwise, they'd have nothing. Absolutely. Um, It's really kind of irresponsible, I think, for the Republicans to believe that they can take away what has become an important fabric of our society and not replace it with anything. Interestingly, you probably saw that Donald Trump himself said, no, we're going to have health care for everybody. So if he really means that, they have to develop some kind of program, which they haven't, and yet the Paul Ryans, they're not coming up with anything. So it's clear that the Republicans are in something of a state of disarray. And the way we deal with that is for people who read the book or who care about it to get in touch with their local representatives and tell them. Um, I don't know if you saw Kathy McMorris, the woman from Washington State, a Republican, very much against Obamacare, uh, comes from a very red district, Trump supporters. She tried to give a talk to her um, uh, town hall, and she was booed off the stage, basically, when she said, I support, uh, uh, I support you, I speak for you, and they all kept saying, but you're repealing our health care. Yeah. 
Well, I don't believe it will be repealed completely. I think it, it is just a uh, a switching of labels because I think that it's all about the branding. I mean, that's really what we're talking about with this person who's been elected, that we, the people, have elected. But don't you – well, I, I hope you're right. My, my fear is that they will repeal it because it's so important to a certain segment of the Republican Party to get rid of Medicare, to get rid of Obamacare, to get rid of Medicaid, to get rid of Social Security. That's very important for them to do that. And my fear is that they will ram that through in the very early stages of this presidency, and we won't be able to do anything about it. Oh, I think we'd have a revolution on our hands. Well, I hope you're right. But yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. Remember, they have a majority in the Senate and the House, and possibly with the court, given that Trump will probably nominate somebody along the same lines as Scalia. These are people who do not believe in government. They feel yeah. that the less government, the better. It's like the old Paul Krugman column where he found the guy in a town hall meeting who said, uh, keep the government out of my Social Security. <laughs> People don't realize that government is actually really important, and government isn't simply regulations that sometimes overstep or government officials who often don't know what they're doing. Government is what holds our society together, and if yeah. we get rid of it, we're in peril. Especially when you're dealing with the size of our country. If you look at other smaller countries around the world that may have less um, invasive or um, legislative kinds of governments, they're dealing with a lot less people. Yes, exactly. We are a country that not only is one of the largest in the world, we are growing, and unlike a lot of the other developed countries. So in, in my view, we cannot be cutting back on government now. Now, sure, government can be ridiculous at times, but what that means to me is we try to make it a more intelligent government, not a lesser government. Yeah. You know, and, and when you talk about happiness and how this ties to government and how this ties to our place in our country, and if we're not happy with the outcome of the election, really this, this call to action about, you know, you know, manning up in the places where we can to make the change. And you talk, we talk, uh, earlier about educating family and friends. What about organizing and volunteering? I mean, this is another area where a lot of people may be blind to the benefit, uh, both on emotion and on action, of you know rolling up your sleeves and doing something of meaning to serve somebody else. Yeah, I think volunteer work is enormously important. And as you say, it's it's enlightened self-interest to some degree. You're not just volunteering to help other people. You feel good when you volunteer, and there have been a number of studies that have shown the more you do that kind of work, the better you feel about yourself. But I would say that maybe even more important than volunteering is organizing. That's another thing the Tea Party figured out. If you volunteer, you're doing a wonderful thing, but if you organize, if you get seven volunteers together or 14 people together, you actually can do more. There really is strength in numbers. So what I would encourage people to do is think about not just volunteering, but working with the people you know who are sympathetic to your values to create something. Yeah. I don't care what it is. It can be a community meeting. It can be a new organization. I don't, it doesn't really matter as much as you get like-minded people together working towards something that you all believe in. And I said that's such a wonderful form of enlightened self-interest. You feel better. You make friends. And you accomplish something.
I agree. We're going to need to take a break. I'm talking with Gene Stone today. He is the author of The Trump Survival Guide, Everything You Need to Know About Living Through What You Hoped Would Never Happen. It's here, and we're going to deal with it. We're going to take a break. To learn more, please visit GeneStone.com. On Twitter, you can find him at GeneStone. And on Facebook, it's Gene.Stone. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back, and that is a promise. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Are you or do you know a returning U.S. military man or woman in need of restoring joy in their lives? Did you know that our nonprofit, Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, offers stigma-free combat trauma and post-deployment reintegration programming? Check us out at www.hh4heroes.org. That's HH, the number four, and heroes.org. Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio? Subscribe to us on iTunes and get your weekly dose of joy downloaded free and easily to your computer or portable device. That's Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. We are talking about the Trump Survival Guide, everything you need to know about living through what you hoped would never happen with the author and my guest, Gene Stone. So Gene, prior to the break, we were talking about the benefits of organizing and volunteering. And I think you made a very good point that it's great to volunteer, to roll up your sleeves, to do something to serve others. But it's also more great, perhaps, to organize and enlist others to work towards a common cause for whatever your beliefs are. Yeah, I totally think that um, organization can be um, valuable, not just for the effect of what you're working toward, but toward the feeling of working with other people toward a common goal. I think that um, people, when they work together, um, create something bigger than the sum of the parts. Yeah, agreed. And let's talk for a moment about happiness and that the pursuit of happiness is being a universal desire. Each one of us gets there differently. And you've got uh, two political parties that are polarized, right? And seeing how to get there from a very different angle. And how does happiness play into the equation? How does having empathy for the other and seeing that the other so too has the same desire as as you and me allows us to maybe um, view the situation differently, you know, and rather be polarized to try and find a place to meet that has a, a common base. Well, and I, that was I a lot, very long winded paraphrase. I, Sorry. I, I, I do think um, in a democracy that when the left and the right split so far apart, you run the risk of dictatorship when one side stops listening to the other. And we can't afford that. When 
people work together, the left and the right, and find some sort of compromise, that's when you can build towards something together. You build a community when everybody in the community is working happily as one. But if you have all these different people all convinced that they only have the answer and no one else does, then you get these divisions, which I think lead to uh, a breakdown of democracy and a breakdown of personal character as well. And I think this is the good thing that could come of what has happened, because what I'm seeing, and I'm not a particularly political person. I love America. I love this country. I'm a patriot, but I'm not interested in running for office, but I am interested in seeing both sides and all the parties work together. And I am seeing some of the Republicans come to the table now and question, you know, A, what has happened and B, how can we work together to make this better? Not all of them, but certainly some of them. As I'm watching these confirmation hearings, there are some Republicans who are are digging in deep and they're not moving. Well, I do think that there are a number of Republicans who understand that this country is more than just Republicans and Democrats, and that if the country is to move forward, we all have to find places of compromise. And if I were one of these Republicans like maybe Susan Collins or Portman of Ohio or Lisa in uh, Alaska, Murkowski, um, I would think that they have a chance to really affect policy as a group of five or six who will sometimes side with the Democrats, sometimes side the Republicans, and, and try to help lead the nation forward by looking to make everybody in this country feel that the government is working for them as opposed to just one side of the spectrum. Yeah, I, I agree. Talk a little bit about um, educating seniors, because I think this is an area that we often overlook. I totally agree with you. Um, I think sometimes in this country we forget that seniors are often fonts of wisdom, and it isn't simply a matter of us go educating them. It's them educating us with all of the lifetime of experience they have. However, I also think when it comes to politics, a lot of times seniors in our country have been left out because so much of what goes on is on the Internet or it's social media, and a lot of these people who didn't grow up with it aren't connected so I would certainly encourage anybody to go to a senior home or an assisted living home and, and talk to people and, and try to get them to understand what's going on in the country and what they can do as a citizen with a vote and with a conscience and, and with ideas for how things can be better. But it is funny how we do, and I agree with you 100 percent, that it's so important to educate seniors on uh, the issues that are matter to them. But I would love to see the reverse happen and have seniors educate the young on life's experiences. Yeah, I agree with that. That's another show, you know, yeah, on, on the beauty show. of mentorship. I, I, I yeah. definitely think that's another show. You also um, write in your book about subscribing to think tank newsletters or donating to progressive think tanks. And I think this is a very interesting suggestion because it allows us to broaden our horizons, find out um, the opinions of others. Specifically, you talk about national security and um, think tanks, Human Rights Watch, Economic Policy Institute, Woodrow Wilson, International Center for Scholars. Talk a little bit about that because a lot of our listeners may be unaware that there are other opinions out there 
that need to be factored into the equation. Well, again, when we're talking about an era where there is so much news floating around that has no basis in fact, it's a really good idea to seek out experts in the field. National security is probably the most difficult topic in the book for the average citizen to do anything about. It's not as if you can join a local national security organization. <laughs> you can be really informed, and the best way to be informed is to go find one of these institutions that you just mentioned and subscribe to their newsletter. And instead of just wondering what might be going on in the world, get informed with the people who spent their lives studying these issues and who are really well informed, are very articulate, and can teach you so much about the world. It's right out there if you choose to participate. And what about, um, this is another one that I really love, you talk about donating and using social media to use it for the greater good, which may be different than many of us are used to doing. Yeah, social media, I mean, it's still in its infancy. It's not going through a good period right now, but it has so much promise. Think of all the people you can reach through social media that you could never have reached if you were just walking around your community and talking to several people at random who you happen to see walking their dog in the street. But you have to use it wisely, and I think with civility. If social media is simply a place for you to vent your negative emotions and yell at people, it really doesn't have much point. But if it's a place where you can find like-minded people and you can build something constructive, it can be the most extraordinarily useful tool that we've come up with in years. Agreed. And it's using it for the greater good. And, and definitely um, from a mindful perspective to get the word out. I mean, one interesting thing that I learned about through social media was the march that is going to go on in Washington the day after the inauguration, the, the Women's March. That I knew about because it's been in the news. But there's a movement with the, um, the pink knitted hats that you may be aware of that has spread mm -hmm. wildly and really, you know, set the... Um, the country, on, or at least women in this country, on edge. Yeah, um, that, that's that's a perfect example of, of what we're talking about. Is um, if if it weren't for the uh, internet, the whole um, I think it's the Pussy Hat Project. I think it's what the, it's yes, called. it's the Pussy Hat Pussy Hat Project, and it's, it was started by two young women. Mm -hmm. Two young women who, if were for social media, probably would have gotten their sisters and their mother to do it. But instead, they've got, what, 100,000 people now interested in, in following them? And this is exactly when social media is at its best. Here you have two kids who really wanted to do something. They come up with this silly pink hat idea, and it is just really cool. It is really cool. And in fact, one of our team members, Caitlin Ryan, who is responsible for all of our web content, she is going to be at the inauguration and she will be at the march the next day. And I've charged her with a mission to bring home two pink pussy hats for myself and my daughter. <laughs> we are out of time. And, and, and I, I'm so sorry, but maybe you'll have to come back. Would you be willing to do that with me? We can hang out and talk politics and please, please stuff and stuff. Back. I would yeah. love that. Um, and I also wanted to say one thing before we close. So the world doesn't think that I am a Trump naysayer. 
The fact of the matter is he's not going to be our president and we want him to do well. We want him to succeed. We want him to have an administration that serves all. And the rest is really going to be up to him and who he chooses and how they choose to conduct themselves. But, you know, he's our president. I guess that's what I want to say. I, you know? I agree with you. And my book isn't about fighting him based on what we know now. My book simply lays out possible scenarios and says, if this were to happen this way and you don't like it, here's what you can do. Yeah. Beautiful. Once again, the book is The Trump Survival Guide, Everything You Need to Know About Living Through What You Hoped Would Never Happen. My guest and its author is Gene Stone, and he's promised to come back and hang out with me, which makes me very happy. Thank you, Gene. Thank you. To learn more about Gene's work, you can go to genestone.com. On Twitter, he's at Gene Stone, and on Facebook, Gene Stone. We have flown through another hour of purpose-driven media designed to inspire and delight you. But here are a few thoughts before we close. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. Happiness simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guest today, Ed Brodow and Gene Stone, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with Toginet and KBUU and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange. Go out and rock your day. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new broadcast and continue to harvest your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on iTunes and SoundCloud. To learn more about Lisa's global practice as an applied positive psychology coach specializing in lifestyle management as well as addiction and trauma recovery services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook. Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness.